Okay, I gave you plenty of time. If you hadn't found First Peter, it's your fault. All right, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Don't be afraid to use it. Okay, First uh, Peter chapter one. We are continuing a series that we have called Running Together. And I know I told you a couple of weeks ago that I was not a runner. In fact, I gave you this quote: "If you see me running, you should be running." Okay, and just remember that as we go into the future. But I brought something that I want to show you today, and we're just going to leave this up for just a minute there. Uh, this is a picture of, oh, yikes, it's, it's still scary, okay? This is a picture of 17-year-old running phenom, Rusty, okay? Uh, showing a little too much leg there. Hey, remember, modest is hottest, okay? Uh, I'm glad my girls aren't here. They'll be like, Dad, you told us not to wear short shorts. I'll be like, oh, uh, yeah, I know, okay? So I've been down that road. It's a dangerous place. But anyways, uh, sorry, that was slipped into testimony time there. So, yeah, I ran cross-country for a few years. By the way, I don't know why I have this photo or why it even exists. Who takes a picture during cross-country? Probably my mom, all right, full disclosure. She's going to watch this later and be like, that was me. But you can't take a good cross-country picture, am I right? Like, what are you supposed to do? You're running, trying not to die, and like, look at the camera? You know, there's just no way to take a good cross-country picture. Notice a couple things, though. It's a little bit blurry. I'm moving so fast that the camera can't capture it. Number one. Number two, notice there's nobody around me. All right? It's because I'm so fast. I'm just uh, so far ahead of everybody. You can't see me. No, uh, let's go ahead and get that off of there. Some people are starting to make their way to the exits. I just want to make sure. Yeah, let's go back to our title slide there. Seriously, this is killing me. All right, we're good. Uh, and I'm the one who put it up there, and it bothered me both times. But there we go. So I did really run on the cross-country team at my local high school all four years, and I did it because I wanted to get in shape to sit on the bench during basketball season. So every Saturday during the fall for several weeks, I would get up and for the purpose really of just being humiliated in front of tens of people who would gather to watch people run uh, cross-country on their day off. Uh, But my senior year, something incredible happened. All three years before that, And this is not a joke. I was pretty much last place at every single race I ran. And when I say I was last place, I don't think you understand. One meet, this is a true story, they started taking down the finish line before I finished the race. And like I emerged out of the woods and they're like, wait, there's someone still running, right? And then you get the Rudy moment, which let me just tell you, you don't want the Rudy moment, right? Where they're like, oh, come on, buddy, you can do it. And it's like, you just feel sorry for me, okay? Stop it. Uh, anyways, again, slipping into testimony time. But I, I was the last place every time. But my senior year, something happened, and it can only be categorized as a historic run, okay? I did not finished last at any of my meets through the district qualifying round. At one race, first race of the year, I'm told that a guy had a seizure. Still beat him, all right? Counts. One race, I remember vividly, we get to a football field for the last hundred yards, and a guy pulls up lame, twisted his ankle about 50 yards to finish, passed him up, beat him. And I'm telling you, just one thing after another, I'm not finishing in last place, and I'm loving it. I'm just living the dream. It's a historic run. And all the way to district where the rest of my team, even though I was still finishing next to last, the rest of my team was doing really good. And they ended up winning second place in district as a team, thus qualifying us to go to the regional cross-country meet in San Antonio, Texas. 
Y'all, this was a big deal. It was a big deal. Because not only did we go to San Antonio, which for a kid from Sperger was a pretty big deal, but it was a bigger deal because we missed two or three days of school, right? Like everybody's on board with that. So I am ready to go. It's going to be so much fun. I will humiliate myself in front of anybody to miss two or three days of school. So let's go run. So I loaded up on the, the school van with our team and we headed to San Antonio. And man, we had a good time. I'm just going to tell you, it was so much fun. Friday, we arrived and we started at the University of Texas San Antonio with this map. And they said, hey, y'all go walk the course, familiarize yourself with it so you'll know where you're going. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to be last anyway. So I'm having a good time. I'm hanging out. There's people from other schools running. And my wife was in the first service. I still said it anyways. There were girls also running at this race. So I'm meeting people. We're having a good old time, right? Uh, and you saw that picture. Lady killer, am I right? Uh, had those shorts on. They couldn't help it. So uh, we're, we're walking around. We're having such a good time, man. And I didn't really pay attention all that much, get through that. We go that night and we were staying at a hotel. You know, it was a lot of fun. We met some other people there. We're having a great time. Drank a Dr. Pepper at like 11 o'clock. Who cares? Mom and dad can't tell me no. I'm up at three o'clock still. And anyways, all that to say next morning at about nine or 10 o'clock, I don't even really know. The gun goes off and a group of the best runners in Texas and me take off. We're running. Everything's great. My strategy of don't die is going well. And I'm about halfway through this race. And when I tell you I was by myself, you need to understand I was by myself, okay? So this was regional qualifiers that are running. They looked like ants on the horizon, something about the curvature of the earth, like they just were gone and I couldn't see them anymore. And I am by myself about halfway through this race and I come to a fork literal in the road and I'm not sure which way to go because there is nobody inside either direction. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do here? I'm not really sure. And there were some guys there who I think were basically there to make sure all the runners made it through without dying. And I was like, what direction do I go? Well, turns out they spoke a different language than me. So we have a language barrier. I'm like, this way or this way? And they're like, I don't know. We don't really know. And I was like, this way? And they're finally like, yeah, yeah, go. So I take off through this little path and I emerge into a sea of runners. And what do you do in that situation? I just started running, all right? I <laughs> just like I belong there. And about that time, Johnny runs up beside me. All you need to know about Johnny is that he was the number two runner on our team. Johnny, I love it. I'll never forget him saying, just come on, let's go. And that worked for about 50 yards. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> like, what are you trying to do? So I guess a judge finally catches on looking as like, hmm, one of these runners is not like the others. And they say, young man, come here, come here, come here. And I step out and, you know, I'm breathing hard. And he goes, what's going on? I'm like, (laughs) you know, and finally, when I catch my breath, I said, I think that I'd missed a turn or something. And they said, well, did you run the big loop? And I said, I don't really know. And finally, he goes, man, you're just going to you're out of the race. You're disqualified. And I said, man, I came all the way here. At least let me finish. Let me finish the race. And he goes, well, Let me write down your number. He said, you can finish, but you have to be last place. He said, no problem. Just took off, right? Not an issue, man. Not an issue. So thus ended my historic run of not being last place. But best part is, of course, you know, none of the other races are like this, but this is regionals. They have like the fancy stopwatch and there's people lined up the last couple hundred yards cheering for you. So, man, I came across the finish line about 10 minutes faster than my time had ever been before. Still last place, by the way. My coach, I'll never forget him being like, 
man, Rusty, wow, you really did good. Wow, what in the world? And I'm like, uh, I cut off part of the course, coach. So good times, good times for sure. Uh, and there's, there's more to that story. I'll have to tell you over a cup of coffee, uh, cause I'm just don't have time. We gotta preach the word. That's what you came for. You maybe don't have a history of running in races. Maybe, uh, you've never run cross country. Uh, if you're lucky, congratulations. But if you're like me, you found yourself at some points in your life where you realize that you've made the wrong turn somewhere. The distractions of life come in and they hit you and all of a sudden you realize that you are way off the course. But this morning what we're going to see is that Peter is going to invite us to prepare our hearts and minds for the race of life. The good news is in a world full of wrong turns and bad directions and distractions, Jesus has given us a clear course and a clear path to run on and we're going to be able to see that through this text today. The call today is for us to get ready to run, and the way we get ready to run is by setting our hearts and our minds on Jesus. Will you jump into the Word with me, starting in verse 13 of First Peter chapter 1. The Word of God says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to your word asking you to do what you do when we open it. That's to speak to us, challenge us, change us, mold and shape us into the men and women you want us to be, into the church that you want to be. God, I pray that you would help us to discover today what it means and what it looks like to truly set our minds on you in such a way that you can change us from the inside out. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We've been looking at this letter from Peter for three weeks now, and through the scripture, Jesus has been calling us to live with a living hope that changes the way we look at this life. We've called that a new gospel perspective. We've asked the Lord to help us look at everything the way he sees things because of his gospel. Because Jesus has saved us, we've said that our future is secure, and because our future is secure, it transforms the way we live today. How does it transform us? Well, this salvation causes us to praise Jesus and pursue Him, and as we praise and pursue Him, ultimately that leads to us proclaiming Jesus. That's kind of catching you up on the last 
couple of weeks of messages. But in this passage we just read now, what we're going to discover is that all of that really starts with intentionally preparing our hearts and minds. The, the basic truth of this is this doesn't just happen. Church, listen to me. You're not going to just stumble into holiness. You're not just going to find yourself out of nowhere being a godly man or a godly woman. You don't stumble into living for the mission. If we're going to run this race, then we need to intentionally set our hearts and our minds to follow Jesus. And that's what we see in this passage. That's what it's all about. I love the phrase right out of the gate here. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Our modern translations say this, but in the original language Peter wrote this letter in, here's what it literally says. Gird the loins of your mind. That's why we have modern translations, y'all. Because you read that and you're like, wait, what? What does it mean to gird your loins? Well, in this day, they weren't blessed to live in 2018 like we do, where we have athletic shorts and t-shirts, which is my outfit of choice 99% of the time. Praise God for those. Then I moved to Kansas, and I'm going to, like, a few weeks, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore, but it's all right. Uh, but anyways, they had, like, kind of robes. Of course, you know, when we dress up as people in biblical characters, it usually looks like an oversized bathrobe. It wasn't really quite like that, Right. But it did have flowing robes that would go down like below their knees. So if they were going to run, if they were going to work, if they were going to do anything that required them to move quickly and get about, they would have to gird their loins, which was to gather up that robe and basically tie it to their upper legs so they could go and get ready. Basically, it was turning those things into a pair of athletic shorts, right? They knew what they were doing right then. Now God's just taking out the process. So now when you see me up here wearing athletic shorts, you know that I have just girded my loins and got ready for work. Amen? So this is what they would do. So he says, prepare your minds for action. Gird the loins of your mind. To do this, obviously for us, that's not a physical action. But what we're doing is basically gathering up and getting out of the way the things that stop our mind from being set where it needs to be. He uses this word in verse 13. He says, Prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that comes through Jesus. That word sober-minded, when we hear it, generally what we think is reserved and kind of quiet and composed. But the idea of being sober-minded is really appealing again to the uncluttered mind. Being able to get rid of the distractions and having a laser focus on that which matters. And he's arguing that the what thing we need to be sober-minded in... The one source of our focus and our attention and our direction in life should be Jesus Christ. That's what matters. If we're going to be ready to run, we've got to set our minds on Christ. That's what verse 13 is, a clear call to us, our first big truth. Set your mind on Christ to get everything out of our hearts and minds that distracts us from his mission. Things like worry, things like fear, jealousy, hatred, unforgiveness, impurity. These are the things that bog us down and stop us from being focused on Christ. And at the end of the day, let me just level with you. These symptoms that we just said are really just a bigger issue. They're symptoms of a life where our hearts and minds are not sober-mindedly set on Christ, but rather we are sober-mindedly set on self. It's really a battle for the throne of our hearts, isn't it? Who is on the throne today? Is it you or is it Jesus? If you're like me, that's a war that's constantly raging. I'm focused on Jesus and his mission. I'm living for him. I'm super passionate about everything. 
and then the Astros lose. Mm. It hurt to say that in the first service. It hurt even more now. I just got to move on. Pray for me. Way more seriously, though, we're focused on Jesus. We're focused on his mission. And then your finances get tied. You're focused on Jesus. You're focused on his mission. Then your kids are wayward. You're focused on Jesus and you're focused on his mission and then you lose your job or things at work just get really difficult. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the things of the world have a way of piling on us. Have you noticed that? Like when one thing goes wrong, everything goes wrong. It's just how the world tends to do and we find ourselves forgetting about this living hope we have. For the last couple of weeks, Peter's been saying, guys, you were saved to a living hope. The salvation you've been given changes everything. And perhaps our retort would be, yeah, but have you seen this lately? Have you seen what we've been going through? It's easy to find ourselves forgetting about this living hope that we have. And Peter knew this would be the case. That's why he writes in this section to remind them and to remind us of this glorious living hope and the salvation that we have in Jesus. And he's calling them to be intentional about setting their hearts and minds on Jesus. Because if we don't, Church, listen to me. If we don't set our hearts and minds on Jesus, then we will waste our lives on our own little kingdoms that don't really matter at all. And we will live a life that has zero eternal impact. Because at the end of the day, verse 24 says that all flesh, that's us, is like grass and all of its glory. So all of our glory, all of our fame, all of our awesomeness is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What we do for Jesus will last forever and ever and ever. And if we're going to make our lives count, if we're going to run together, if we're going to be a church that actually makes a difference, then we have to set our minds on Jesus today. So how do we do that? That's a great question. This this will preach, right? That dog will hunt. We'll be like, yeah, set our minds on Jesus. Let's do it. As everyone leaves here and goes, yeah, man, that was a good sermon. I'm going to set my mind on Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, I want to give you a couple of really practical things, but I also want to stop down for a second and just make sure that we're all careful here because Peter doesn't prescribe a three-point plan to setting your mind on Christ. We would like that, wouldn't we? We like, we like to get things done. So it's like, boom, 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 mindset on Christ, let's do this. But we don't see that happening. Instead, we need to understand that this isn't a to-do list. This is a lifestyle. To set our minds on Jesus, we must consistently, intentionally, and purposefully think about, communicate, and live for Him. So while these aren't to-dos, I think there are a couple things that we can just throw out there that help us stoke the fire of our affection for Christ. First, there's the Word of God. We've been talking about that now. This is the third week I've mentioned it in a row. We need to be a people of the Word. Pursuing Jesus means getting in His Word. And as we get in His Word, we grow in our knowledge and love for Him. And it's just kind of a daily reminder and a daily way to reset and refocus our mind on Christ. I can tell you that I can tell a real difference in my day when I've had a day where I'm able to get up and spend some time in the Word before I go out about my day. There is a tangible difference on days when I get to do that and days that I don't do that. And it's not because 
uh, God, you know, is so happy with me that I read the Bible that he releases his holy good vibes upon me. That's not what's happening. Listen, when you read the Bible, it's not changing God. But when I open up the word and submit myself to it, guess what? God changes me. He gives me that gospel perspective and he gives me what I need to live for him that day. The second important way that we can set our mind on Jesus, the practical way, is through prayer. Prayer is simply communicating with God, spending time with Him. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not trying to turn you into a monk. It's not like you pray enough that you can manipulate God. But instead, prayer is the most legit reminder that I need Him. I said when I was here back in August that our prayerlessness reveals our arrogance. We don't pray because we think we got this. But if we could just get a glimpse of the spiritual realm, I'm convinced that this morning we would have trouble not praying. If you knew how much your life, your family, and this church depended on prayer, I think we would have trouble getting off of our knees. Oh, that the Lord would make us a people of prayer. When we Remind ourselves the reality through prayer and the word that Jesus is the one on the throne of our hearts. It helps us set our minds on him. I know that with the new pastor, everyone has been anxious to see what God is going to give us as a vision. What direction are we going to go? People will ask me, what's your vision for the church? Where are we going to move? What's, what are things going to look like down the road? And I can just tell you something. I believe that today we would see a radical change and transformation in our church if we started here. If we started here all together seeking the Lord through His Word and through prayer. And you understand, I'm not trying to shirk my responsibility as the, the lead pastor, the one who develops vision and direction for the church. Instead, I'm trying to roll out step one of that vision, y'all. And step one is let's run toward Jesus together. And as we do that, He is transforming us and molding and shaping us and making us into the church He wants us to be. I truly believe that if we did that, we would experience a move of God in this church. We would individually, as families, and as a church, set our minds on Christ by digging into his word and becoming a people of prayer. So what would that move of God look like? What would happen if we were to do this? If instead of just being another sermon, what would happen if we tried to run this play? What would happen if we stepped out of here and said, I'm setting my mind on Christ. Peter is going to show us a couple of results of a life that is set on Christ. And let's look at these today. These can kind of serve as a test for us. If you're wondering, is my mind set on Christ? These may very well be a good place for you to start and think about. The first thing is that if our minds are set on Christ, we will live like Jesus. We will live like Jesus. We're talking about obedience here. Peter says in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now let's just level with each other. When we hear the word obedience, it automatically makes us cringe just a little bit. Here we go. We're going into this churchy stuff. All these rules. I knew it was coming. I knew this church was too good to be true. Now they're going to say, do this, do that. This is what it's all about. But you need to understand that following Jesus is not about a list of rules. Rather, it's about a relationship with the living God. 
So if obedience isn't a set of rules, then what is it? Here's what obedience is. If you're taking notes, this is a great thing to jot down. Obedience is letting our relationship with Jesus shape every area of our lives. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is letting our relationship with Jesus shape every area of our lives. See, we don't let the world set our standards. We don't allow the world to tell us who we should be and how we should live. Instead, as we set our minds on Christ, as we grow in our knowledge and love for Him, He is the one who molds us and shapes us into who He wants to be. Do you see how this kind of obedience is different from the way we generally talk about obedience? See, I think our obedience tends to be, do this, do that. And here's what that kind of obedience does. It leads us to becoming a people who evaluate each other and look around and say, I'm holier than they are. This is what we always do. If you are, if, if the standard for holiness is other people, you can always find somebody worse than you. Don't look at them if they're sitting next to you, okay? Some of you are like, amen. I mean, what? If the standard is other people, you will always find somebody worse than you. So when, when it becomes a list of do this and do that, we say, well, we're doing this and they're not doing that. And, and I really wish they would do that, but they're doing this. And I'm telling you, I've seen this play out more times than you can imagine. People mired in one kind of sin will say, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. And then people over here mired in this sin will say, well, you know what? At least I'm not doing what they're doing. And we're all dividing and we're all saying, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. Let me just tell you something. If your holy life causes you to be a jerk, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Obedience to Christ should lead to bringing people in, not pushing people away. If Jesus is shaping us into the men and women that he wants us to be, it's going to change us. And it's going to make us a people who bring others to him. We don't want to turn into legalists. We don't want to become the Pharisees who are just criticizing and comparing ourselves to everyone around us. Peter says, you have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, not with silver or gold. And stop trying to buy your own salvation with the pennies of your sometimes obedience. You can't afford your salvation, but the price has been paid by the blood of the Lamb. So walk in the righteousness that He gives. And when you walk with Him, He is going to mold you and shape you into the man or woman that He wants you to be. Church, that's obedience. This is what it means to follow Jesus. To live like Jesus. If our minds are set on Christ, we will obey Him and live like Him. Not only that, Peter shows us that setting our minds on Christ will lead us not only to living like Jesus, but we will love like Jesus. We will love like Jesus. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is a weird verse, and you might not pick up on it when you just read it quickly. But essentially, the literal translation Peter is saying here Since you're loving one another, love one another. It would be the equivalent of me saying, hey, uh, all you guys sitting out here, go ahead and sit there, please. (laughs) You're like, all right, will do. 
Why is he saying this? Well, what's happening here, we don't see it in English, but there's actually two different words there for the word love. This first word, it comes from the word phileo, which is kind of a brotherly love, a camaraderie. It's the type of love, basically, to to illustrate this, when you walk into your favorite sporting event, and you walk in, and everybody's wearing the same colors as you are, everybody's rooting for the same team, you don't know the vast majority of the people there, but as soon as you walk in, you're on the same team, you're all rooting for the same people, you're all going the same direction, and it is an awesome thing. And listen, Peter commends that, doesn't he? He says, hey, you guys are doing great with this phileo brotherly love. Keep that going. He says that all of us should desire that. In fact, I would say that as a church, that's what we want to happen here. We want people to walk in. If you're visiting with us, if you're hanging out with us, we want you to walk in and feel the love. We want you to know that we are all on the same team, running together towards the same goal, and we want you to be a part of that. It's a good thing. But Peter essentially says, don't stop there. Since you have this brotherly love, let it lead to loving like Jesus. The second word that he uses for love is agape. And this is a whole new level of love. This is the love that is used to describe the love God has for us. This is the self-sacrificing, never going anywhere, I'm here for the long haul type of love. And Peter says that if our minds are really set on Jesus, if he's really the one shaping our lives, then we will be a people of this kind of love. People will come because of our brotherly love and the camaraderie we have, but they'll become a part of the family and experience the deeper love that comes from a pure heart. He's basically saying no more living on the surface. No more living on the surface. If we're going to do this, if we're going to really be a church, then we need to move from liking each other to loving each other. Now, people usually say, well, I love them, but I don't like them. You heard that before? Usually that means you don't love them or like them. Let's just be honest. According to God's standard of what love is. But we've got to move from just being a place where everyone, we like each other, we have that phileo love, but we never go deeper. Can I tell you, churches that never do that, and by the way, I think the vast majority of them are there. You can find that same kind of love, that same kind of connection, this same kind of camaraderie. If I were to go today and put on a chief's hat and a chief's jersey, which by the way would be blasphemy, but if I were to do that and go find myself a sports bar today, I would find instant camaraderie, wouldn't I? You're like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. And we'd all be on the same team. Everything would be going great. But listen to me. Too many churches today are not even doing it as well as the sports bars. You can find better love and that brotherly love camaraderie sense somewhere else. But even churches that are doing that well, listen to me when I say this. We never go further. It's a cool place where we all like each other and we enjoy hanging out. But we never move to this agape love that the Bible describes. This love that's willing to sacrifice for one another. This love that is willing to walk through life with each other. If we're going to be a church instead of just a big old organization, we've got to move to this kind of love. Hey, if you wanted to be a big organization... You hired the wrong guy. 
I didn't come to run a nonprofit. I came because I wanted to be a part of this family. And I wanted us to be running together towards the mission that God has for us. But if we're going to do that, we've got to go past this surface level love. We've got to have a real sacrificial love for one another. But here's the thing. I've got to just, again, level with you because it's easy for us. Like right now, it's like, all right, we're going to start loving like Jesus. Let's do this. If we walked out of here excited about it and said, we're going to start really loving each other, we're going to fall flat on our faces. You can't do this on your own. The only way to love like Jesus is to be shaped by Jesus. And the only way to be shaped by Jesus is to set our mind on Jesus. You didn't notice I just preached my sermon backward and forward, right? We're going to set our minds on Christ And we've got to walk with Jesus and let him shape us as we're walking in obedience. And only then are we going to be able to really love people like we've been. You'll notice that two of the points of this message are part of our mission. We can go ahead and throw that slide up there that has our mission statement. To reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. Again, I know that as... The, the new lead pastor, people have been like, what are we going to do? How are we going to reach this community? What are we going to do to get out there and make this happen? And can I just tell you, I'm excited that you are excited about that. I, I am passionate about reaching people and I want to see us go outside of the walls of this church and reach this community for Christ. And I'm pumped about what God is going to do in and through this church in that. But it is so critical that we stop down and we, that's why we've done this for this season and these few weeks together. It's so important for us to stop down because the reality is this. We cannot reach and teach people about Jesus if we are not living and loving like Jesus. Our mission flows from our devotion to Christ. We must be so passionate about Jesus that we think about reaching others until Jesus has so gripped our hearts that we can't help but love the people around us. This isn't going to work. But listen to me, something amazing happens when we stop down for a minute. Ironically, in a message called running together, the way we get ready to run is by stopping for a minute, bowing our hearts and bowing our knees and bowing to the king who sits on the throne of our lives and saying, I need to set my mind on you. I want to live like you want me to live. I want to love like you have loved me and when we do that we will be as primed as we have ever been to reach teach live and love will you run with me if you will then let's just stop and pray right now lord we thank you for your word we're thankful for the call scripture we know that we're not making this up Lord, you desire to use us in ways that we couldn't even think or imagine. But Lord, before you can use us, Lord, you desire to have a relationship with us. Your grace is so incredible that you don't just want to clean us up, Lord. You love us so much that you want us to come to you so that we can have a real relationship with you. And Lord, when we set our minds on you and when we are digging into your word and praying, God, you're going to mold and shape us into who you want us to be. And you're going to give us the ability to love the people around us so that we can fulfill this mission you've called us to. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for calling us your own. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, that Lord, today they would start the race and be running with us. We can't fulfill your mission until we have been saved. So God, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs you, today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light, that we would walk in that light and run into your purposes, into your calling. We thank you for what you're going to do, Lord.